Welcome, I'm Doug Morgan, and you're listening to Uncommon Sense, where we hunt for the truth in the topics you're not supposed to talk about, Christianity and politics. Some people have questioned why I have been so involved in the political arena. Even when I was leading a church as lead pastor, I was also called to be the mayor of that city as well. There were those that thought that this was a really good thing, but there were others that did not see it quite the same way. (laughs) They questioned why any Christian, little alone a pastor, should waste time on things of this world, as they would put it, when I should be concentrating on saving souls, for instance. <laughs> First of all, I don't save souls, but that's a whole other issue. Now, about two-thirds of Americans claim to be Christians in this country. Yes, about two-thirds. Um, the percentage of people registered to vote, um, Just let's, let's just take the West Coast states here where this podcast originates. In Oregon... of the people in Oregon are registered to vote. In Washington, it's actually lower than that. It's 61%. And believe it or not, in California, (laughs) just a little over half the people that can vote are registered to vote. 55% of the people that live in California are actually registered to vote. I'm not saying they actually vote. I'm saying they're registered to vote. That means that about 40% of the registered voters claim to be Christian, okay? So if you you look at the registered voters of uh, of any state, about 40% of those registered voters claim to be Christian. The percentage that voted in in our county in, in the last election, so if I look back on the very last election that we just had here last month, um, it, if I look back on that on that vote, just in the county where I live, 21% of people that were registered to vote voted. That's right. Basically, one in five of the people that are registered to vote, I'm not talking about people that aren't registered to vote. One in five of the people that are registered to vote actually did vote. Okay? The percentage that voted in the last election that claim to be Christian then, if, if, if we can extrapolate that out, the 40% of people that are registered to vote are, are claiming to be Christians, that means, by the numbers, only 8.5% of those people that voted claim to be Christian. 8.5% voted. 8.5% of Christians voted. Now, do you know what would happen if only, let's say, 5% more Christians voted. It would have totally changed that election. Just five more percent would have totally changed that election. This is something that I just have a problem understanding. I really do. It's hard for me to wrap my brain around. How can people complain about what is happening in this world and yet not even take the time to vote? We are not talking about volunteering for a campaign. We're not even talking about running for a local 
elected office position like school board or city or county council. I mean, we hear all kinds of excuses why people didn't vote, right? Things like, you know, my, my single vote doesn't matter. It's, it's just one vote. Well, this kind of thinking is what gets us the 5.5% Christian vote in this last election. How about the election is just rigged anyways. It doesn't matter if I vote or not. Well, voting, it, voting in responsible, good leadership is how we get rid of corruption in the first place. Or how about, how about this one? This is, this is a good one. We are supposed to just concentrate on spiritual things as Christians. <laughs> we, we actually have a biblical mandate, believe it or not, to be a steward of what God has blessed us with. And in this country, he has blessed us with the ability to elect our government and who represents us there. Unfortunately, Christians don't take stewardship seriously in this country. For instance, if you are a pastor of a church that 15% of the congregants tithe their 10%, you are literally in a high-tithing church. You're considering a high-tithing church with only 15% of them tithing their 10%. Most Christians also are not good stewards of their responsibility to put good moral people in leadership positions. Now, David Coulson um, wrote um, this, this article entitled, Politics, How Involved Should Christians Be? And I thought it was rather interesting. He says, do Christians have a moral or biblical obligation to, to participate in government? Is there a distinctly Christian way to engage in the political process? Do Christians have a duty to vote? And if so, what principles should inform them as they cast their ballots? Some say that Christians ought to be wary of associating too closely with elected officials or political parties because it risks conflating the responsibility of the church with that of the state. They ask, if God is sovereign and controls the heart of the king, like Proverbs 21.1 says, why why risk compromising our gospel witness by getting involved in something so divisive? Others maintain that Christians ought to be heavily involved with politics and, and partisan politics. They say that because politics are so important, it is worth investing significant resources to educate and mobilize the congregation for political activity. The the gospel applies to all areas of life. And, and the Bible instructs us about government and political authority. Scripture advocates neither total withdrawal from the political process nor over-involvement in it. Thus, we need a third approach, a model in which actively engage, engaged Christians fully apply biblical principles to the current political challenges. But what does this model look like? What are the principles that can help us navigate our divisive political landscape? Well, why should we care about politics? There seems to be an assumption in some circles that politics is inherently defiled. And that political involvement is in, inappropriate for those serious about the gospel. 
This view fits into the theologian Wayne Grudnim, uh, called calls uh, the the do evangelism, not politics approach to civic engagement. Adherents of this view suggest that Christians should uh, exclusively focus on sharing the good news and uh, you know discipling others in the faith because Jesus' final command was to make disciples, right? Matthew twenty eight sixteen through twenty. You know, in fact, um, nineteen uh, verse nineteen there says, "Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Behold, and and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." So, in other words, because political engagement does not lead someone to faith in Christ, it is not considered a top priority. I, like I, I was just saying, experience a lot of that type of thinking. Um, however, upon closer examination of Scripture, this objection fails to account for a broader perspective of politics, one that incorporates how people order their lives and affairs, and, and the reality that Christian worldview has much to say about civic responsibility. Moreover, the, ob- the objection does not consider the responsibility Christians have to steward the blessings and the opportunities entrusted to them. Because voting is a matter of stewardship. Christians living in a constitutional republic like we have here should seek to vote in a way that honors God and advances the well-being of their neighbor. In in Romans 13, 1-7, Paul describes the governing authorities as ministers of God and says, they are responsible for ad- ad- administering civil justice. Although God is sovereign, he chooses to use human governments to carry out his will in the civil sphere. A, a biblical basis for government is also found in Genesis 9, where God provides general authorization for action against murderers. This passage implies that, that communities must form or support governments capable of administering justice, right? Thus, the important role of government is is one, one reason why Christians should care about the political process. Government was God's idea, and, and Christians should engage with it in a way that is consistent with its God-ordained purpose. A second reason Christians should care about politics is that the Bible contains numerous examples of God's people engaged engaging in, in politics as part of a holistic approach to ministry that meets both spiritual and temporal needs. In the Old Testament, for example, Joseph and Daniel served in foreign administrations uh, and used their influence to uh, implement policies that benefited society. In the case of Joseph, during a devastating famine, of course, you can read about that in Genesis 45, um, God used his position in the Egyptian government to protect and provide for his extended family, which, which would become the, 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 the nation of Israel, of course, eventually. Queen Esther used her influence in the, in the Persian government to save the Jewish people from a state-sanctioned genocide. That, that's in Esther 8. And, and the prophet Jeremiah instructed the the exiles in Babylon to seek the welfare of their new city. He also commanded them to pray for the city, for in its welfare 
you will find your welfare, is what Jeremiah 29 and 7 says. A thriving society would benefit God's people as well as the city's other inhabitants. Because government and, and its laws are an, an, a, a, a big part of our lives, there is no way to avoid some level of involvement. This is, this is true for Christians who, though sojourners and, and, and exiles, as, as we're called in 1 Peter 2.11, in this world, are nevertheless citizens of the city of man as well as the city of God. Christians ought to in, endeavor to be good citizens, both, both cities and, and leverage their, their influence for the advancement of laws, um, policies, and, and practices that, that contribute to the flourishing of our neighbors. So that leads us to the question, how should Christians engage in politics? Well, we should never equate the church's mission with the, the platform of a political party, but should Christians and essentially pastors do more than call for their you know, cordial discourse and, and preach on a, a few moral issues? What, what biblical principles should guide us when we vote, for instance? In a republic like the United States, the, 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 the focus of power is, is the citizenry. The, the government derives its authority from who? The people, right? Unlike billions of people around the world, America, through its ballot box, control their political future. Indeed, we are stewards of it, and we are stewards of everything else God has given us. For for Christian citizens, the implications of America's form of government are even more significant when considered alongside Paul's teaching on the, the purpose of government in Romans 13. According to Paul, government is ordained by God to promote good and restrain evil. God authorized, and he authorizes, the, the government to, to wield the sword for the administration of justice. Because power resides with the people in our republic, when Christians vote, they are delegating their ruling authority to others. In other words, by voting, Christians are entrusting their sword-bearing responsibility to officials who will govern on their behalf. That's a representative government. That's what it means. Yeah. Seen from this perspective, voting is a matter of stewardship then, right? Failure to vote is a failure to exercise God's given authority. We have the authority to do it, and we should. We have a responsibility to do it. Further, given the, the, the United States far-reaching influence into the world, let's say. Let's just look outside of our country. How can American Christians love the people of the nations, as we're called to do, and, and, and love them well without having a vested interest in how our government approaches the issue of religious liberty and human rights worldwide? I mean, will Americans, ambassadors be be steward defenders of of religious freedom overseas? Christians who support missionaries should care about the state of the international religious freedom and an area of advocacy in which the United States 
exerts significant influence around the world and has for a long time? Will abortion, under the, the euphemism of family planning, right, be funded overseas by American taxpayer dollars? Or will a U.S. foreign policy value the life of the unborn? Again, American believers, by exercising their right to vote, have a direct say in these matters. In, in light of these, these considerations, pastors should exhort their members to be involved in the political process and to vote. But voting is not enough. Pastors should also help educate and equip their members to think biblically about moral issues, candidates, and, and, and party platforms. Although neither political party perfectly represents Christians, obviously, right? They're political parties. Political platforms allow us to make thoughtful judgments regarding who we will support at election time. These platforms, which serve as proposed governing philosophies, how Christians see, you know, Christians to see if, if how the, the political parties prioritize issues on, um, on the biblical uh, stances that we take. So in other words, when we look at what the party stands for, then we can see how it aligns with the Bible and which one aligns more closely. Now, compelled by love for our neighbor and a desire to steward our God-given responsibilities, we must, as Christians, engage in the political process. But we must engage biblically. This requires that we are prepared to grapple with the moral issues of the day. We can't just turn a blind eye. The reality of our two-party system, we need to grapple with that as well. What type of system do we have and what responsibility do we have in it? And to follow our Christian conversa- uh, convictions to their logical end by voting for candidates and parties that support clear biblical values. That is our responsibility. I, 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 I direct you to an article by Dan Scott, and uh, he, he writes for the um, palmettofamily.org website. And he says this, he says, in a time when our nation seems increasingly divided, there may never have been a greater need for the unity that the Christian faith produces than now. Jesus, when questioned by the religious leaders of his day, instructed his followers to give to God what is his and to give to the government what was theirs. In ancient Palestine, there was only one kind of government, and that was despotism, right? For most of the world's day, little has, has changed even today, from Asia to Africa and, and the Middle East and, and South America, tyrants and dictators rule over people who, like the people Jesus spoke to on, on the day uh, there in, in Jerusalem, live in fear of their government. As, as Americans, we have been afforded a unique opportunity, one that we so often take for granted, in my opinion. Our opportunity is one that many of us overlook, and it is one that billions of people around the world and throughout history will never get to experience, and that's sad in a way. It is the opportunity of self-government, self-governance. It is 
the opportunity to help shape and impact the domestic and the foreign policies of our local, our state, and our, our federal governments. As, as a freedom-loving organization, th- this, this particular organization here, they stand with with the significance of this responsibility they their their uh, whole thing that they want to do is is to show what our responsibility here is now i would say you know while they do that we need to understand that that we have a responsibility as christians to do exactly the same thing so so they they they've given five reasons why Christians should be active in the public square. Here's, here's number one. We have a civic responsibility as, he says, as a millennial, and he's, he's a millennial, um, obviously a little younger than me, right? <laughs> I can tell you that within my generation and with the younger people growing up today, the understanding of civil responsibility, citizenship, has been almost completely replaced with the concept of social responsibility. The the weighty problems of poverty, war, and inequity should be addressed, but not to the detriment of realizing that we have a responsibility to serve our God, our country, and our fellow man. One of the ways we express citizenship is by engaging in the public square. We can, we can and should engage in politics as part of the solution. And we should also include volunteering in youth programs and, and public schools and, and leading Bible studies in, in, in jails or in prisons even, uh, monitoring teens and young adults, preparing meals for needy families in the community, and, and the list goes on and on. And number two, we can help foster spiritually healthy communities. As, as a student of, of political science and religious studies, he says, I have tended to focus my academic energies on the national and international arenas of politics. The one big truth that I have learned in the course of my studies is that nearly all problems, no matter how big they may seem, can only be effectively treated at the local level. All of us have seen the problems our country has faced over the last few years. And whether it's government corruption or racial conflict, uh, abortion or whatever else, the answer is not a top-down solution. What we need are dynamic communities of believers working together to be the hands and the feet of Jesus, loving, living out the the principles of his word in their local communities. Perhaps one of the best examples of the, of the in the last few years was the response uh, of of Christians at the Mother Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, while extremist groups of, of um, you know, protesters came in and, and attempted to destabilize the situation afterward, after what happened, the, the, the grace of Jesus shone through the pain of the families and the friends of those that were lost. And for a moment, it shook the nation. So number three, our communities and our nation need intercession. Simply put, Intercession is the act of praying on behalf of others. Intercession itself is a public activity. Throughout the Bible, we see the prophets and the apostles interceding for those in the family of God. The Bible also tells us to pray for our 
governing leaders, the president, the Congress, the governor, the state representatives, mayor, city, county counselors, all need us to pray for them as they make decisions that will affect our lives. Our communities also need us to be active in praying against the wickedness of things like abortion and other things. When was the last time, just think about it for a second, when was the last time that you prayed for your leadership? When was the last time you prayed for your president? When was the last time you prayed for your congressperson? Or do you even know who they are to pray for them? Number four, our communities and our nation need us to be watchmen. In an ancient world, when cities were fortified with large walls for protection, men would be designated as watchmen. They would patrol the walls all day and all night watching for signs of danger. If one of them saw a threat approaching, they would sound the alarm and muster the city to prepare to take action. In our postmodern society, many people don't recognize the dangers or consequences of our choices and actions. As Christians, we are needed more than ever to be the light in the darkness surrounding our communities and our families. They need us to sound the alarm when we see danger approaching so that our communities can prepare and act accordingly. And number five, our communities need someone to speak for the least among us. And in the Gospels, Jesus refers to himself by quoting the prophet Isaiah. It's, kind of, it's a really cool story if, if, you, if, if you ever have the time to dig into it. He, he, he refers to himself by quoting the Isaiah uh, the prophet Isaiah saying that God had set him apart to bring good news to the poor, to bind up the brokenhearted, and to pray, proclaim liberty to the captives. As, as we strive to be more like Jesus in our own lives, in our families, in our neighborhoods, in our towns, in our cities, we need to take up the cause of Jesus to speak for those whose voices are not heard. The unborn, for instance, uh, you know, prisoners, the, the widows, the orphans, and the poor. In a time when our nation seems increasingly divided, there may never have been a greater need for the unity that the Christian faith provides and produces than now. As, as the darkness grows darker, the light must shine brighter. It's the light of Christ shining in the individual which illuminates the community, which can illuminate the city and spread outward as it is joined with the lights of other believers actively striving to fulfill the mission of Jesus Christ all around us. Now, the point of this we, is, is that we as Christians do a great job of complaining about how things are going around us, right? But we do a terrible job of stewarding what God has given to us. It's kind of like the story of uh there was a there was a man that lived in a house where there there was some there was a flood coming and and the the police car came to let him know that he needed to get to higher ground. He said, "No thanks. God will save me." The waters then rose and came right up to the front door. His his neighbors came in in a small boat rowed right up to him and invited him to get in. He said, "No thanks." God will save me. Then the waters came up 
around his house so much so that he had to climb on top of the roof of his house. A rescue helicopter saw him and came and instructed him to climb the ladder so that he could then be flown to safety. He said, no, thanks. God will save me. And later he was swept away in the floodwaters. And, and after dying, he, he went to heaven. And there he saw Jesus, and he had a, a very important question for him, obviously. He said, you know, he said, Jesus, why didn't you save me from the flood? And Jesus looked puzzled, and, and he responded with, well, I sent a police car, I sent a small boat, and, and even I sent a helicopter. Uh, what more did you want? <laughs> Yeah, probably not a true story, right? But but it, it seems like we think that God is just going to save us from the evils that happen with ungodly leadership. We complain about it. We say, wow, I can't believe that so-and-so is trying to do such and such. Instead, he is, he's asked, God is asking us to do our part to, to make sure that our government is a godly one, one that restrains evil and gives justice to the innocent. That is what God has called us to do, to be stewards of that. And I think, unfortunately, we kind of do a lousy job and we need to do a better job of that. We need to pray about how we can do that and how the Lord can use us in those areas. And you may, again, agree and you may disagree I would love to hear from you on that. In fact, if you would go to Facebook and you would you know, like us on there, and, and uh, of course, you can, you can do that on Instagram and MeWe and all that, or you can just simply go to UncommonSensePodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. This podcast is a production of Morganite Communications.